Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. The Sacrament of Holy Matrimony. Let's read a little bit here from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1601. The matrimonial covenant by which a man and a woman establish between themselves a partnership of the whole of life is by its nature ordered toward the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring. This covenant between baptized persons has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. Welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. And as always, I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. So happy to be here with you today talking about the sacrament of matrimony. I want to do a follow-up show on matrimony because I've had a lot of great response for anybody who's attended who attended the conference uh, on marriage uh, this, you know, a couple of weekends ago here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. There were a lot of people who were there. There were a lot of questions that were asked, and I thought it was a great conference. I so enjoyed meeting so many people, and I know that there were a lot of our listeners who were online uh, listening to the conference, and I think we had such a great turnout, but we had a lot of questions, and a lot of things came up um, that really tied into what is at the heart of the sacrament of matrimony, and that's why I wanted to dedicate today's show to what does the church really say about the sacrament of matrimony? We've heard a lot of different things from the scripture readings. We've heard, you know, so many different stories. But I wanted to get down to what is in the catechism. We're going to follow through with a few paragraphs. And I have a couple stories for you um, just about matrimony. Two very distinct stories about the same sacrament. So I hope everybody stays in, uh, tunes in and stays in for the whole show. Because you're going to be very, very important stories as to what does the sacrament mean and how does it represent our God as a trinity. But let's start with a prayer. Let's start with a Regina Celli. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice, alleluia, for he whom you did merit to bear, alleluia, has risen as he said, alleluia. Pray for us to God, alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary, alleluia, for the Lord has truly risen, alleluia. Let us pray. O God, who gave joy to the world through the resurrection of thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, Grant, we beseech thee, that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, his mother, we may obtain the joys of everlasting life. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, before we get into today's talk, I also wanted to remind us that we will be having a men's conference. Why is that important? Because it ties into the sacrament of matrimony. We're talking about... Uh, the hierarchy of matrimony, if you will, at our conference, at the Marriage and Family Conference, for those of you who were there, you heard me talk about how the man's the head of the family. But what does that really mean? You know, it sounds very powerful, but if we think about what it really means, it's very humbling. And this is why I encourage all men and actually their spouses, if you can, go to the men's conference. Listen to what we have to talk about. Listen to what we have to say. Listen to how we think of men uh, or how as men we think to be Catholic. Uh, that conference is going to happen Saturday, June 18th. I hope to be there uh, if I can. If not, I'm definitely going to join in uh, on, on the virtual side and listen to the conferences. We're going to have great talks from Jesse Romero, Terry Barber, and Ruben Nava. And hopefully 
you know, some of the guys who are there are going to glean something as to what does it really mean to be a Catholic man and realize that we do have a fellowship. It's hard to be a Catholic man in today's day and age. And let's look at why. You know, when we read the catechism, I read that paragraph. Let's break it down a little bit and let's see what we're talking about when we're talking about the sacrament of matrimony. Again, if you're going to follow along in the catechism, this is Article 7. The first paragraph is paragraph 1601. Let's break down that paragraph because it in that first paragraph, it hasn't even gotten into the different units or the subsets of the catechism yet. And in that first paragraph, it tells us actually everything we need to know about the sacrament of matrimony and how we're supposed to carry it out. But I think we have to read it and delve into it just a little bit more deeply. The matrimonial covenant, already right there. What's that telling us? It's not just a couple words said by people when we say, I'm going to be married to you, I love you, and I'm going to uh, uphold you as my spouse the rest of my life. It's a covenant. It's raised to the level of a covenant. Who made covenants? God made covenants with his people. God said, you know, this is what's going to happen, and I'm promising this to you. And God was going to fulfill his promises. Well, we saw that with Noah and the ark, and he said there will never be another deluge like this. There was a lot of sin going on at the time. You know, everything around people felt like, boy, everything's falling apart. Does it sound familiar? I think that's true in every age. I think every year it feels that way. Why? Because there's always going to be the people who want to follow the word of God, the rules of God, and around us, there's always going to be people who don't. And whenever we see that dynamic, we see that dichotomy, you know, it's it's an interesting set of uh, social repercussions that we have, because then all of a sudden, you know what? We're not going to have peace. There's not going to be peace if there's always this constant battle. And when that battle's not there, we always feel like something's wrong. But if God made a covenant, he made a promise. And that means that regardless of what's going on around you, I promise you, you're going to be okay. If we read this and we say this is a matrimonial covenant, there's promises that we make to each other where we say we are going to be okay. I promise you that I'm going to work towards keeping everything well in our in our lives, in our family, and I'm going to do my part. And this is both partners. This is not just the guy saying that. It's not just the, the, you know, the groom saying that. It's not just the bride saying that. We're saying that to each other. Notice the important part. We're saying to each other that I'm going to do my part to uphold the marriage. I'm not saying... I'm going to marry you to make sure you hold up your part of the marriage covenant, which is what we tend to end up doing after a while because we stop looking at ourselves and seeing what can I do to keep a good marriage. And we start thinking about, hey, what's my spouse not doing? What is it that they're, that they're doing that I don't like? I want them to really do something different. And we stop thinking about how am I contributing to the relationship? Am I bringing in something positive? Am I trying my best to be happy? And am I trying my best to accept my partner's love? That's important that we talk about this because we're going to have a case study. I have a couple of case studies of, of, of two uh, married couples um, and their approach to, to different conflicts in their marriage. And we're going to talk about those because that's important to see where am I in my marriage? How am I thinking? And am I expecting too much from my spouse or not enough? These are important questions to ask ourselves. But as we read on in the, in the paragraph, so now we know it's a covenant, but listen to this part. This is where it's different from every other sacrament, by which a man and a woman establish between themselves a partnership of the whole life. What does that mean? Different from every other sacrament, the sacrament is that we establish it among ourselves. My wife and I decided to become a sacrament. It's the only sacrament that's like that. Other sacraments are great. There's baptism, right? We baptize a child. The priest performs a baptism or the deacon can perform a baptism. 
there's confession. The priest is there in persona Christi, and he has he's been given the power to forgive our sins. So the priest forgives the sins. So we come to Christ um, in order to receive these sacraments. The Eucharist, obviously, the priest has consecrated the bread and the wine, body and blood of Christ, and we come to the sacrament. Matrimony is a little bit different. All of a sudden, a man and a woman decide, hey, why don't you and I become a sacrament? Why don't you and I decide to become a sacrament? We establish this between ourselves, a partnership of the whole life. And we've made a decision at this point that you and I are going to be a sacrament. We don't go somewhere to do that. Now, people will say, well, yeah, but who's going to marry you? Well, we marry each other. Everything else is just witnesses, whether we have a priest, whether we have a deacon, whether we have friends there. If you think about it, if you've been to a Catholic wedding, you see that there's a best man and there's the bridesmaids, um, you know, and there's a maid of honor. And what do they do? They go back and they sign the marriage certificate as witnesses. The priest or the deacon or whoever is, uh, officiate, uh, you know, the celebrant there, they're, they're but a witness to us becoming a sacrament, to us saying, you know what, you and I are going to become a sacrament. So we marry each other. That's the important part of the sacrament is that we are a living sacrament by our union. It's very unique that way. There's no other technical sacrament of union, if you will. This is what orders us back to Christ. But let's read on and see what this paragraph says. It is by its nature ordered to the good of the spouses, obviously we're marrying each other, and the procreation and education of offspring. Procreation and education of offspring. There has to be intimacy between the spouses. The union, the covenant, it's ordered towards procreation. God knew this. You know, in today's day and age, gosh, the intimacy between a man and a woman, it's defiled, if we will. You know, the bedroom is no longer a sacred place. Intimacy is no longer sacred. We see it in so many different forms. Um, but the reality is, that's what marriage is. This union is geared towards procreating. It's geared towards intimacy. But notice it's about the good of the spouses and procreating and educating of offspring. There has to be those two forces. We have to unite the, the couple in order for them to have children. This covenant between baptized persons has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. Our union is a sacrament. That means that the way I interact with you as my spouse and the way you interact with me as your spouse is supposed to be a representation of Christ. Why is this important? Well, let's look at the first case study. I'm going to read through a few uh, more paragraphs of the catechism a little bit later, but let's look at this case study because I had uh, one of our, our listeners, obviously everything stays anonymous, and if this sounds like it was you who wrote it, it probably isn't because I get a lot of emails with the same type of content, but I thought it would be important to address uh, as we're talking about the sacrament of marriage. And it goes like this, Dr. Sandoval, dear Dr. Sandoval, I'm writing to you because my husband and I need help. Okay, we need help. Uh, what did she say here? My husband and I need help. I don't feel that he is leading our family the way God intended. I feel that he's not listening to me or our children. He is constantly saying that as the head of the household, we have to say what he does, or excuse me, we have to do what he says. He is not kind. He yells and he uses a lot of swear words when he addresses me because he says he's angry, but he says that it's his right to do this as the head of the household. He also comes in. He's not even kind to our dog. I don't know what to do. We're not happy when he comes home 
and I wonder if I need to stay in this marriage or if I need to leave this marriage at this point. This is a very, very important uh, email that I got. Um, and then the question was, please help. I need some direction. Again, th this is very hard to deal with. I see we're coming up on the break. We're gonna see how we break this situation down when we come back from the break. All right. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, it's a pleasure to be here with all of our listeners so that we can talk about our Catholic content, about our Catholic faith, about our Catholic lives. And today we're talking a little bit more on marriage. There were a lot of emails, a big response after uh, our marriage conference, which I was very happy to be at and very happy to share with our listeners and anybody who tuned in uh, online who wasn't present always a pleasure to have all of our listeners and always a pleasure to talk about our Catholic faith. When, it, when is it not good to talk about being Catholic, right? Today, I want to talk a little bit because I had gotten some emails with some interesting um, situations, if you will. And so this first email, if you're just tuning in now, I was reading an email from a listener who was concerned because she felt that her husband was not living the sacramental life when it came to their marriage. She was concerned because the husband is not kind. Uh, apparently, he is uh, even using bad words and calling her names and saying that he can do this because of the guise of that I'm the head of the household. I'm, I'm the man of the household. Um, and there's no reason why. Uh, I shouldn't be able to do these things. When I come home, you should pretty much serve me, um, was the idea. And we see this in a lot of cultures. You know, this is true. I mean, I can't deny it. If we see sometimes, we sometimes see this in the Latin American culture where, you know, the man's ahead of the household and everybody's afraid of him and he's the king. And, and that's just the idea behind that. Well, that's not exactly the way it was meant to be. And we need to ask ourselves, what does what's this deal with the man being the head of the household? You know, a lot of people get upset about that. A lot of people don't like um, the idea that that was even said. You know, our classic one is uh, Saint Paul. You know, let me look this up really quickly um, because Saint Paul said that, and uh, and uh, <clears throat> people don't like that because all of a sudden they say, well, it sounds like Saint Paul saying that the women should be. Um, you know, submissive. And this is in Ephesians, you know, and it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands unto the Lord, right? And that's Ephesians, Ephesians uh, chapter 5, 22 to 24. The problem is that sometimes we just stop there and we don't read the rest of that passage where it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let's look at what it says in the catechism. Let's look at just the next paragraph in that section on matrimony. It's paragraph 1602, because this is really going to help us explain what that means. What is it that the husband is the head of the household? Um, why should a woman be submissive to her husband? Well, the real thing, the way we should read that is, wives, be submissive to your husbands when your husband is actually acting like the head of the household the way Christ wanted him to act like the head of the household. When the husband is saying, I'm willing to give my life for this family, right? Because we need to be in communication. We need to be talking about what does our marriage mean? When was the last time we sat down together and said, hey, how are we doing? Are you happy with our marriage? What's missing? What do you think? What can I do differently? And this goes both ways. Now, this email just happened to be from a female who was uh, writing to me from the, from the spouse who was concerned about her husband. But I've seen it go the other way where sometimes husbands say, what's going on? My wife left me. You know, and she left me for another man. I don't know. I was doing everything right. I was being the loving husband. And 
all of a sudden she decided it wasn't enough. Well, let's look at this next paragraph and see something about what this means in terms of our roles with each other. Because trust me, the head of the household has nothing to do with being the master of the house. There's two different things. So let's read paragraph 1602. Sacred scripture begins with the creation of, of man and woman in the image and likeness of God and concludes with the vision of the wedding feast of the Lamb. So let's talk about this because what's the wedding feast of the Lamb? The wedding feast of the Lamb we see in the book of Revelation, right? There's going to be a wedding feast. I, English, One of my English teachers always used to say, if you want to know how a story ends, look at how it began. And our story, our, in our salvation history story, our story of being redeemed by God and our story of how God introduced himself to us and our understanding of creation is such that God started our lives as men and women with a marriage. That's how it started. There's no question about it. You read the scriptures, man and woman were created. God made Adam and Eve, and he told them to be a couple. He blessed the sacramental marriage. He created a sacramental marriage, and he said, join me in creation. Because God could have just kept creating human beings, but he said, I want you to join each other, to be together, to love each other, and have children together. Notice, none of that sounds at all like you are in charge of her or she's in charge of you. You might have different roles. You might have different roles. But it doesn't say that man was in charge of woman or woman was in charge of man. It says that you might be the head of the household. And what do I mean by in charge versus head of the household? Well, let's break it down. Because some people might say, Dr. Sandoval, that's the same thing. What are you talking about? So let's break down to some more specifics. Really, if we want to look at it from a biblical sense, God finished his creation when he created Eve. Think about it. When we see the story of creation, God stopped after he created Eve, and then he rested. Then he rejoiced. Why? Why is that? Why? You know, he made man first, so does that, that make man more important? Uh, it seemed like God kept perfecting and perfecting as he kept going, and his most, per, his best, you know, the final thing he created, the final perfection of creation at this point was Eve, right? Why? We can look at it from different ways, but at the end of the day, the woman is the bearer of life. God already knew that he was going to be coming into the world and he was going to be a man. God humbled himself to be a man, but he knew he was going to have to be born of a woman. And so he was going to make something so perfect that he could be born from. So he made Our Lady free from sin and he made woman a creature who could bear life, who could carry life in her womb and give life to the earth. Right? Of course, as men, we contribute to that. But what's our role? Did God make us stronger and bigger? Sure, you want to look at it biologically. We have more muscle mass. There's no question about that. A man, if you want to do a medical exam on a man and a woman and compare everything scientifically, a man is definitely physically stronger. We see that all the time. You know, We see that there's no question about that. A man can be physically stronger. Why? Why would a man be stronger? Is this so that he can exert himself? Well, that's what the animals do, sure. If you look at the law of the jungle, the biggest animal is in charge and hoards over everything and, and can move everybody out of the way and can eat first, you know, and make sure that uh, that they are the center of attention, if you will, right? The, the lion is the king of the jungle. The biggest gorilla is always going to be in charge. But if you notice in the animal world, everything is done by force. That strength is made to survive and sure there's the idea of protection. But at the end of the day, that's the animal who's going to be in charge because he does it out of fear and force. But God elevated us. God did not make us animals. And if I come home as a husband and all I'm doing is 
cursing out my wife or, you know, saying bad words or not treating the children kindly or being mean to the animals? What kind of an environment am I creating? Am I creating more of just an animalistic environment? You know, I can't even be nice to my dog. Is that my job as a husband? Is that what the head of the household does when Christ comes home or when Christ comes and he visits my home? What's he going to ask me? He's going to say, what kind of a household have you created? You were supposed to be in charge here. What did you do? Remember, even in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve fell and they both ate of the apple, God came over. And he said, Adam, what's going on? He didn't say, Eve, why did you talk to the serpent? He went to Adam and he said, what's going on? Which that right there all of a sudden tells us, what is our role as the head of the household? My role is not to be in charge of everybody. My role is actually to protect everybody, to come home and be a source of peace so that people can feel at peace and they can be their best selves and that they can follow God. Remember, our job as a family is just to get everybody to heaven. My role is to get my wife to heaven, to get my kids to heaven, to teach them scripture, to make sure that we are living in a beautiful Catholic home. That's my role. My role is not to come and rule my household, but to uplift my household. We got to take it back to scripture again. Why? Because let's go back to this part. Again, creation started with man and woman in the image and likeness of God, and it concludes with a vision of the wedding feast of the Lamb, which tells me that the wedding feast of the Lamb is the wedding feast of Christ with the church. If I'm supposed to be Christ-like to my family, I have to be ready to lay my life down for my family, to not make my life more important than theirs. And in fact, what did Christ do at the Last Supper? What did he do for his apostles? How did he show them that he was their master? He washed their feet. He prepared them to go on to their mission, and he showed them that as the master, he was not above washing their feet, that if they were going to be important, they had to be at each other's service. That's all he said was important. That's all he said that mattered. So I have to ask myself as a husband, as a man of the household, am I at my family's service or am I at my own service? When I come home, is my family happy? Do they know that I am here to serve them? Is that how I'm leading my life? Or do I come home expecting that I'm going to be fond on, that I'm going to be fed, that I'm going to be taken care of? If that's the case, I think we're, we're missing a step there. We're failing at some point. That will all come because who didn't take care of Christ? Christ had his friends. Christ had different people who recognized who he was and realized I'm here to serve him as well. But Christ showed us that the first thing we have to do, if we're going to be the head of the household, if we're going to be Christ-like, I better come home and serve my family and not expect to be served. That will come subsequently. It will naturally happen if I come home and I create a, uh, an environment of peace, an environment where my kids know that they're safe, where my wife knows that she's safe. Eventually, they're going to be very happy to see me home. And they're going to say, this is great. Dad's home. Let's take care of him because he's taking care of us. That's the way it works. In this particular case, what I would say to this listener is, Hey, I don't know all the ins and outs of your marriage. I don't know all the ins and outs of your relationship. You are painting a, a very um, concerning picture, I would say, because I never advocate for anybody to stay in an abusive relationship. That's no longer a healthy marriage. Is it a valid marriage? That's not for me to decide. You know, can you get an annulment because of this? That's not for me to decide. I would have you go talk to a priest. Talk to somebody who knows about annulments. Talk to somebody who knows about valid marriages. Because, yes, a lot of people might say, well, that's not a valid marriage anymore because the husband's being abusive. Or we could say the wife's being abusive. Either way, um, either way, it's, it, it can happen. But 
just because one party all of a sudden decides that they're abusive or they're not acting in a loving Christ-like fashion, that doesn't mean that the marriage was not valid because we have to look at were the promises valid? Were the, was the couple mature enough to get married at the time they got married? Do they have children? Have they formed a family? Sure. If all that's in place, the marriage is probably valid. Now, is it a safe environment at this point? That might be something different. I'll have a lot of couples who say, well, Dr. Sandoval, my spouse is now doing drugs. And now they're, you know, getting into different things, uh, illicit things, pornography, you know, a lot of the different sin, and they're not there for the marriage anymore. Well, it's a sad state of affairs. It's a sad situation. All of a sudden, can I say, well, I need an annulment now because this isn't valid? Not necessarily. If the marriage was valid, it was valid. It's a sad state, however, if we're not carrying out the marriage covenant. And that's really what it comes down to. We need to talk about that intimacy. We need to talk about the marriage covenant. We need to talk about how we as a couple, are we living like Christ? When do we stop talking to each other? When did all of a sudden we decide to start calling each other bad names, you know, and sometimes that can happen in arguments. I, I think that's already a red flag because all of a sudden we've lost a certain amount of respect for our sacrament. If we don't saw, if we don't see that we are a sacrament, if I don't see that there is Christ uh, in our home, if I don't treat my wife with respect, we've got a problem. My advice to this person would be one, I would first say, go talk to a priest. See if there's somebody there you can talk to, somebody you trust, Somebody who you know is going to listen to you from a Catholic perspective, that's key number one, uh, because if you just go talk to any therapist, they're going to say, oh, you just need a divorce. You know, this isn't working. You need a divorce. We're quick, quick to do that. I don't know what the situation is there. First, I would talk to a priest or a spiritual counselor and double check and see, where's my marriage at? Do we need a simple uh, education? Do we need to go to confession? Are we living a sacramental marriage? That would be the first question I would ask. More when we come back from the break. All right. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. And as always, it is a pleasure to be here as your host. Um, interesting conversation that we're having today as far as marriage goes. You know, I always find it kind of sad when uh, people reach out to me and they let me know that their marriage isn't going well. The spouses are not necessarily seeing eye to eye. I got to ask myself at some point there was a decision to get married. Why did we get married? You know, what was it that drew us together? I think we need to ask ourselves that question um, because in that last case that I read, it sounded pretty dire, you know, and I think a lot of women, uh, and I say women because, you know, the men want to be the head of the household or are supposed to be, and sometimes we don't use our role correctly. And so I say, you know, a lot of women are uh, influenced uh, or feel very negative about marriage because they feel like, you know, my husband just, I'm just scared. I don't like this. I don't want to be in that situation. As husbands, is this our time to feel like this is where we're important and that we need to, you know, hoard over our, our uh, family and, and exert our power that way? Eh, let's read a little bit more about sacred scripture because we're, we're, it's not the way it was supposed to be. It wasn't the way God meant it to be. Let's look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church and see what it says. There's a couple of paragraphs that are important to read here. There's paragraph 1604 and paragraph 1605. And it says, God who created man out of love also calls him to love. Right there, that's that's the key. The fundamental and innate vocation of every human being. If I'm in a marriage where I all of a sudden, just the one I described, where the husband's coming home, he's not kind, he's using bad words, and he's using his role as a husband as an excuse as to why he can do this, we have a problem. God created man out of love 
also calls him to love. There's no way in there that God says, be the head of the household and treat your family poorly. No, the head of the household means you are going to be love for your family and you got to be willing to lay, lay your life down for your family. Why? Because that's what he taught us as far as what Christ did. The scripture begins with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. It ends with a marriage of the lamb, right? The lamb on the altar, the marriage of Christ to his church. And it was done through sacrifice, a sacrifice of love on the cross. That's what we have to be ready for as men. Am I looking at my wife from a perspective where I'm ready to sacrifice my life on a cross for her? That's a question we have to ask ourselves every day. And if I'm not, I got to work towards that. I definitely have to work towards that. Let's see what the paragraph goes on to say. For man who's created in the image and likeness of God, who is himself love? I have to ask myself, am I acting like I'm created in the image and likeness of God at this point? Is that what I'm doing? Am I uplifting my marriage the way God would want me to? Since God created him man and woman, their mutual love becomes an image of the absolute and unfailing love with which God loves man. Mutual is the key word there. Since God created him man and woman, their mutual love. There has to be mutual love. Am I lovable? Or do I feel that people have to love me because I'm the head of the household as a husband? It's a good question to ask, right? I got to ask myself, Am I worthy to be loved? Am I showing up here in a way that people want to love me because I love them? That's the whole point of the servitude. How, how is my family going to know that I love them? Because I'm here to serve them. Because I'm here for them. I'm not here for them to make me happy. But I bet you that will happen in kind. That will happen in turn when I show them how much I love them. So let's look at this. Okay. It is good, very good in the Creator's eyes, and this love which God blesses is intended to be fruitful and to be realized in the common work of watching over creation, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God is giving us a command. We're supposed to be fruitful. Is my marriage falling apart? Are we happy in our marriage? Is it fruitful? Are we creating good fruit? How are our children doing? We won't know if we won't ask. We, sometimes as human beings, we need to communicate. We need to ask. Sometimes we need to really take a step back and say, hey, how is our marriage? How am I doing as a parent? What do my kids need? Now, obviously, as parents, we're going to have to be the voice of reason of the household. I can't say, well, my children told me they needed to eat more candy, and that's how they're going to be happy. No, we're talking about a happy sacrament. We have to guide our children. That's our job, to educate and guide our children, not to be guided by them, but to guide our children, to show them what's right and wrong. How do I know what's right and wrong if I haven't even talked to my wife about it? We're supposed to be the sacrament together. Are we on the same page? Are we both living out our Catholic lives the way God wanted us to? We need to ask this question because our children are going to see this and they're going to know. I always say, gosh, do you love your spouses? Do the spouses love each other? Do, the, do mommy and daddy love each other? And the spouses will say, of course we do. But the next question, the best question, is ask the children. What do the children have to say about that? Children are going to know. They're going to see whether or not mom and dad love each other, and children are honest. It's kind of like being at work when you can ask the boss, hey, are you a, a good boss? And they're going to say, I'm a great boss. I'm the best boss ever. Really? Ask the employees and see if you're truly a great boss. Because you can. we are always going to have a great impression of ourselves, but it's those who we're supposed to serve. They're going to know if we're doing a good job serving them or not. Let's read the next paragraph. This is very important. Holy Scripture affirms that man and woman were created for one another. 
That's the whole basis. If we can't get along, something's going on because we were created to get along. It is not good that man should be alone. The woman, flesh of his flesh, his equal, his nearest in all things. Notice it says his equal. His nearest in all things is given to him by God as a helpmate. Thus, she represents God from whom comes our help. I think that's key right there because we read two different things now. This is getting confusing. Wait a minute. Are, isn't my wife supposed to be submissive to me? And, and, and isn't that what the scripture says? Sure. If we're going to look at our roles, why would our, my wife be submissive to me? So that I can serve her. Allow me to serve you is really what that means. You know, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Christ is at the service of his church. This is key, though, because if there's any question as to who's in charge, read this again. Again, this is paragraph 1605, Catechism of the Catholic Church. It is not good that man should be alone. The woman, flesh of his flesh, his equal. My wife and I are equal in dignity. We might have different roles, but I'm not above her. She's not below me. We just have different roles, and we are equal. This is what makes a sacrament work, if it's going to work. His nearest in all things. She is what's closest to me in all things. Nothing's going to be closer. Is given to him by God as a helpmate. She thus represents God from whom comes our help. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. The Lord himself shows that this signifies an unbreakable union of the two lives by recalling what the plan of the creator had been in the beginning. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. This is key. Why is this key? Because if I'm going to love my wife correctly, I'm not going to come home and say bad things to her or make her feel less or make any of my family feel less. How is that going to help? Right? We are no longer two, but one flesh. And this is the plan of the creator. It's from the beginning. Right? Unbreakable union. Am I following this? Have I read this? I think I need to go back to this if I'm going to understand what it means to be married as a Catholic. Remember, we can't we can't say that we're Catholic if we're not living like Catholics, and we can't live like Catholics if we don't know how to think like a Catholic. How am I going to live like a Catholic if I don't even know how to think like a Catholic? This is thinking like a Catholic here. This is straight from the Catechism of Catholic Church, where there is scripture involved, where our church, our magisterium is letting us know what the sacrament of marriage means. My wife is my equal. I shouldn't be calling her bad names. I shouldn't be thinking of her of anything but uplifting her, because if she's my equal and she's down, then I'm down. There's no question about it. She can't be down and me be elevated. It doesn't work that way. Once we're married, if somebody's down, if somebody's not feeling good, you're both going to be down. That's the supernatural union that we have as husband and wife. There's no question about it. Why is this important? Because there was another situation. There was another case where all of a sudden there was a married couple, obviously, and the man comes to me. He says, Doc, my, my marriage isn't doing well. Notice this is a man coming to me now. And he's saying, my marriage isn't doing well. Um, you know, I don't know what to do about this now. I feel so bad. I feel really down in the dumps. I think everything, I don't know. I just don't feel like I deserve anything. And I said, well, what's going on? Well, you know, in my in my younger years, I committed some grave sins, grave sins against my family, against my marriage. And he didn't go into too much detail. He eventually told me, I don't want to confess anybody's sins, but he said, you know, because of these sins, I'm really worried about so many things. I'm really worried that my family is going to reject me, that bad things are going to happen to me, that my family no longer is going to love me, and that bad things are just, you know, around the corner, and I can't I can't get over it. I've been so worried about this. I've been so anxious about this that I've been losing weight. I, I haven't been myself. 
my wife is asking me what's wrong with me. I don't know what to say. Um, but really, I feel like the whole situation's over. And so we talked about this and we said, well, let's back up a little bit. How's your marriage? And he goes, you know, I just don't think that my wife loves me anymore. And I, I just don't feel like I, I can be part of it. I'm sorry, are you thinking about leaving your wife because of this? And he says, I just don't know if I should stick around. I said, so hang on a second. Let's back up. Let me see if I get this clearly. You committed some sins in your life or some things against your marriage. And you feel that because of that, you need to leave the marriage. You, you don't feel like you're happy in this marriage. He said, no, it's just it's just such a heavy burden to me. I feel like my family is going to turn on me anytime. And so I asked him a few details. Has your family turned on you? Have they said anything in particular about this? He said, no, every time I tell them what I did or I, I had to reveal this to my wife and I had to reveal it to other family members and they were all shocked. You know, they didn't think that I have could have committed such sins, but Afterwards, they, they said that I couldn't believe it, Doc. They, they said that they forgave me, that they still love me. My wife said that she still loved me, and she said she didn't want to leave me at all. And I said to him, okay, so then what's the, what's the situation? So this is you've been given a great gift. Your wife has, has been uh, uh, very uh, um, forgiving, and she said she still wants to marry you. Your family sounds like they still want to be with you, and, and they don't want you to go anywhere. So where are you at with all this? And he said, well... You know, I I, just, I know that they forgave me and I know that, but I just, I don't know that I can stay there because I just don't feel like I deserve their love. Like my wife, I mean, she, she cooks and she wants me to eat and she wants me to, to be happy and, and she wants to take care of me, but I just don't feel that I deserve her love. I don't feel, I think I need to go away. And I told him, you know, there's a couple problems here that we see. The first problem is it sounds like your family's already forgiven you. It sounds like you're in a good place and it sounds like, you know, I don't think that you need um, any medication because one of the reasons he came to me is he said, I think I'm, I'm just going through a depression. I, I think I'm, uh, you know, frustrated. I'm, I'm feeling so anxious. Like I said, I've been losing weight. I just can't even, I don't feel like myself at all. And I told him, well, you know, this is an interesting dilemma that you're in because I don't know that you need medication for this one. I don't think that this is going to be a, a depression or an anxiety as we would call it by psychiatric terms or by a, a psychiatric diagnosis, I think you're in a bit of a different state and this is going to be a much bigger spiritual battle than you appreciate. And I see that the break's coming up, so we're going to talk more about what I told him after the break. You're not going to want to miss this because this is a very important situation. All right, folks. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. As always, you're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Pleasure to be here and talk about our Catholic faith. I want to remind our listeners one more time and our viewers um, that there is the men's conference coming up. You know, I'm talking about these different situations with guys in our marriage. And the men's conference, I think, is a great way to reset, to reevaluate, and to relive our marriage as Catholic men. What does that mean to be a Catholic man in today's world? It's hard to do it alone. But when we're surrounded by other men who we know are going to be our friends, who we know are going to be there with us, and who we know are also living the same lifestyle we want to live, it's a lot easier. We're, we don't feel so alone. That men's conference, Saturday, June 18th, 2022, um, it's going to be at the historic Sacred Heart Chapel, 381 West Center Street in Covina, California. Um, you're going to have talks from Jesse Romero, Terry Barber, Ruben Nava. Very important to attend. So I definitely extend that invitation out again to all of our listeners. If you can't be there in person, 
go ahead and log on to our website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org, and you'd be able to log in and you'd be able to listen virtually. So I think that that's a great option to have. You can attend virtually. Actually, it'd be video, so you can actually see it virtually. Um, and you could have those recordings for yourself. So keep that in mind. Well, before we went to the break, um, we started talking about a few things and we started talking about a different marriage relationship where the husband was concerned because he felt that his wife did not love him and he did not feel that he could be loved by her, even though she was telling him that she loved him. And she was telling him that he, she forgave him because he was worried about some sins of his past, that he was concerned we're going to affect his marriage, we're going to affect his family. It was going to be, it was not necessarily a good thing going on in his mind and in his heart thinking this is over. But when he confronted it, when he talked to his family about it, they said, we still love you. We understand. We're going to move forward. We love you as a person. We see that that's not who you are. And let's stay, uh, let's work towards a better marriage here. And it turned out that he was too ashamed. He, he did not feel good about it. And he felt like he did not deserve any of this. Let's look at the next paragraph here in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, because it's important to talk about where he is now mentally, spiritually, emotionally. The next paragraph is under the the section entitled Marriage Under the Regimen of Sin. And so let's see here. Marriage under the regime of sin. Every man experiences evil around him and within himself. So that's important to consider. Okay. This experience makes itself felt in the relationships between man and woman. Their union has always been threatened by discord, a spirit of domination, infidelity, jealousy, and conflicts that can escalate into hatred and separation. This disorder can manifest itself more or less acutely and can be more or less overcome according to the circumstances of cultures, eras, and individuals, but it does seem to have a universal character. This tells us that all marriages, all marriages are going to be afflicted by a few different things. Spirit of domination, infidelity, infidelity, jealousy, conflicts, discord, right? This is important to consider. Why? Because all of a sudden there's a lot of discord in this marriage. The husband admits to sins he's done. He feels he doesn't deserve anything. And all of a sudden does not feel that his that he deserves anything, any of the love of his of his wife or his his uh, children or his other relatives. Why is this important? Because we've got to bring things back into order. You could say that this man was living exactly the way we can envision hell to be. Why? Because he was in a terrible state. He was fully anxious. He was dilapidated. He was just turned inward. He was losing weight. He was not feeling good at all. And notice he's rejecting his wife's forgiveness. His wife is telling him, I forgive you. I need you to be part of this family now. And we need to move forward as a family. His All his relatives are telling him the same thing. His children are telling him the same thing. But he cannot come to believe that his sin can be forgiven. He cannot come to believe that he could be part of his family because he feels he does not deserve it, which is true. He does not deserve it by the nature of his sins, if you will, the same way none of us deserve heaven by the nature of our sins. But are we going to reject God's mercy? This man was living in a hell. And this is what I had to tell him. I said, essentially, right now you are in hell. Granted, we're in heaven. I mean, excuse me, we're on earth. And so we are not in officially in, in hell where we cannot be redeemed. We come in and out of grace when we're on earth. You know, our, our Lord allows us by his divine justice, his divine will, his divine intellect. He knows that we are going to fall in sin and he gives us a sacrament of confession. We go back into the state of grace. And while on this planet, we're going to be through our human weakness, we're through original sin, we're going to sin 
uh, ourselves and we're going to be uh, not always in the state of grace, but he gives us that opportunity to come back. That's the important part. The question is, do we accept it or not? And this poor man, he looked like a person who was going to be in hell. Not that I think he's going to go to hell, not that he's condemned. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is he was rejecting his wife's forgiveness. He did not feel he deserved anything and he wasn't getting better. Why? Because the weight of his guilt was so great, he was not willing to accept that his wife could possibly love him or forgive him anymore. That's what happens to us. I thought this was a very, very interesting case because that's what happens to us when we're thinking about how do people end up in hell. We Our guilt is so great that we cannot possibly accept God's forgiveness. That's really what it comes down to. That's a state of despair. That's what can lead us to final impenitence where all of a sudden we're faced with our final judgment. We pass away. We're before God and God says, I forgive you of your sins. And if we're not careful, our guilt is so great that we say, I don't think I can accept your love. I don't deserve to eat. I don't deserve the food that you're providing me. That's what he was telling his wife. And in fact, his wife is saying, I still love you. I still want to be married to you. And she came to me and she was crying because they want, they had a session. And she was crying because she says, I still love him. I still want to be intimate with him. And he rejects me at every step of the way. There's no intimacy. There's no love. There's no affection in our household. He doesn't want to come eat with us. He's in his own little corner. And she says, I feel he's very dark. And here's the interesting part. She said, and he's bringing me down with him. He's bringing me down with him. Why is that important? Because it takes us back to that supernatural nature of marriage again, where we are united. Where if one, one party, one of the couples, one of the person in, in, in the marriage, the husband or the wife, is feeling down, they're going to bring the rest of the family with them. Why do I say the rest of the Not just the spouse, but the rest of the family. Because the marriage is a covenant between the spouses to have children. It's the family. That's the sacrament. If one person's down and they choose to stay down, even though they're being told, hey, we forgive you, we love you, but they choose to stay in that misery, they're going to choose to stay in a corner of darkness, they're going to choose to stay in a state of hell, in a state where all they think about is themselves and how bad they are without accepting the happiness that can come from living together as a family and accepting the forgiveness that's being uh, laid out before them, that's the state of hell. That's to say, what I told him was, you know, I'm not a priest. I recommend that he talk to a priest. And he was already in counseling. But I told him, part of what the priest is going to tell you is that your penance is to be in a state of joy, to, in spite of your sin, accept the joy that's being brought out before you, accept the joy that's being extended to you, accept the forgiveness that's being extended to you. And that hurts because how do we marry that? How do we say, wow, everything I've done and yet I get to participate in joy? That's the idea of heaven. That's the difference between hell and heaven where we say, yeah, I have sinned. I don't deserve this, but God is greater than I. This is where I'm not saying, gosh, this this man's wife was greater than him because she was forgiving him. No, she was his equal, but he's got to realize this forgiveness for my wife has to be greater than my sins and I have to move forward. And part of my penance is accepting the joy, knowing the shame that I had for what I did and accepting that I could be part of this family and ultimately forgiving myself. That's part of the penance is to forgive myself so that I can enjoy what is before me, the happiness that is before me, the sacrament that is before me in my marriage. You know, we have very interesting cases here, two different cases. The first case we talked about was a man coming home and not being much of the head of a household, but being the ogre of the house and the wife thinking, I can't live like this. You know, I don't recommend, I never recommend divorce. I always recommend talking to a counselor, going to therapy and seeing how we can improve our married lives but to that first spouse, I would say, hey, let's be men. 
Let's be men and let's serve our families. Let's make sure that we are loving our wives. There's nowhere in that formula that says, treat your wife poorly, call her bad names, bring her down. Nothing, there's nothing in there that says that. And for wives, it's the same thing. You know, we can we can turn the tables. We're talking about this because it was a wife who was talking about her husband. But I see you know where husbands say, you know, my wife doesn't pay attention to me. She doesn't care about me. She sees me. She puts me down in front of her friends. You know, I would ask, well, why did you marry this guy? You know, what what was it that you loved about him? There had to be hopefully some kind of love. Hopefully you didn't marry him out of convenience or for any other reason. But if you married him, you got to see the person and you got to bring him up regardless of what they're job is, their careers, if, if he's trying to take care of the household, then how's it going to help to bring somebody down? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. In the second case, we have a situation where we have a very loving family, where we have a wife who supports her husband, the kids support the husband, the rest of the family, the, the extended family supports the husband, but he's weighed down by his own sins, his own frailty, whatever it was he committed in the past, he's not able to get past that and forgive himself, even though forgiveness is being extended to him on multiple levels. His wife wants to live a sacrament according to the church, but he's not able to. That weight of that sin, he feels it's too heavy. It's too much. He cannot accept mercy. He cannot accept forgiveness. And what does he do? He implodes and he's living in a hell. That's a really hard place to be in. That's a really hard place because nobody can take you out of that but yourself. And the wife was really sad. You're bringing the whole family down. Am I being the head of the household in that way? Am I bringing my whole family down or am I going to lift my family up? Let's look at this. The catechism goes on to say, according to faith, the disorder we notice so painfully does not stem from the nature of man and woman, nor from the nature of their relations, but from sin. So if there's any disorder, right, any disorder in the union, it comes from sin. It doesn't come from our nature. We could say, well, you know, it's our nature because we're not perfect. No, it comes from the sin that we commit that breaks that relationship, breaks that bond. We have to come back together. So how do we fix this? How do we think to ourselves, how am I going to have a good marriage? How am I going to have a marriage that represents Christ? How am I going to be in a situation where as a husband, I always talk to the husbands because I'm coming from a man's perspective. How can I be in a situation where I'm the head of the household? What does that really mean? What that really means is I got to remember in my mind every day, hey, I'm going to have to give accounts to God, not to society. Society is going to tell me different things. Society is going to tell me, hey, I got to go for the bigger position at work. Hey, I got to spend more time away from my family to make my boss happy. Hey, I better spend more time at the office and produce more numbers because then my boss is going to be happy. Is that going to be improve any, anything in my household? Is that going to make my wife happier? Am I going to be the head of the household? Am I going to be ready to recognize that if I failed in any way, I should accept the mercy of my family? And if they accept my, my apologies, I should accept their forgiveness. Am I going to be in that mindset? Not if I'm always working. Not if I'm always paying attention to the world. And not if I feel like I have to be the boss of the house where I'm going to treat people poorly or I have to exert my dominance. That's not going to work. At the end of the day, what's going to make the marriage work is we have to be at the service of each other. We have to be able to be ready to wash each other's feet as Jesus did to his apostles so that everybody can go on their mission. And for the wives, it's the same thing. If you want to lead your family, which you will, um, as the mom of the household, you got to be ready to wash your husband's feet and your kids' feet and say, how can I help everybody here in their mission towards God? Imagine what a beautiful marriage that would be if we're supporting each other in that way. I try to imagine it. I try to live it. Am I perfect? No, but I try to get there every day. 
Until next week, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, keep it Catholic.